This is a KUNV Studios original program. You're listening to special programming sponsored by the Cause Marketing Chamber of Commerce. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Giving podcast. My name is Guy Dawson, and I am the founder and executive director of the Cause Marketing Chamber of Commerce. We are a 501c6 nonprofit organization that brings businesses and nonprofit organizations together to create synergistic relationships that benefit the community. The Business of Giving podcast is all about highlighting what we do at the chamber. We bring on leaders in the for-profit, nonprofit world, and we talk about a variety of uh, topics related to cause marketing. However, if you'd like to learn more specifically about the Cause Marketing Chamber of Commerce, causemarketingchamber.com. This valuable show is made possible through the generosity of our series sponsor, SolUp, an energy solution and conservation company specializing in solar and battery storage systems, including solar panels. To learn more about them, soulup.com. Being in the cause and business space uh, gives me a lot of opportunities to meet interesting people uh, with big hearts who are very committed to uh, making the community and the world a better place. And I've got a woman that I'm going to be speaking with today named Linda Smith, who has been extremely prominent in uh, this space for many, many years. She's going to come on and talk about some of her uh, background as a philanthropist and the hard work that she's done in the nonprofit space. Many of you out there, especially if you've been engaged in uh, the nonprofit space here in Las Vegas, are probably familiar with uh, this woman. Her name is Linda Smith, and she has been prominently involved with uh, some high-profile nonprofit organizations and done a lot in this sector for many years. Welcome to the Business of Giving show, Linda. Hi, so happy to be here. Yeah, and as I had mentioned before, uh, you are someone who has been engaging in a lot of work in the nonprofit sector for uh, for a long time. Would you like to give the audience some background and some of the things that you've done in this space? Well, you know, I, I, I fell into the world of nonprofit. I, I, you know, my background was in Canada. I was a dancer, model, actress, and had um, my firstborn, Christopher, who was born with Down syndrome, and that kind of uh, his birth made me aware of um, you know the, the the cause of disability number one, but but also how um, you know folks uh, with disabilities are so very much um, neglected. I, I guess is the is the word I want to say when when my Chris or and misunderstood and underserved. And, you know, when my Christopher was born, it was almost like an accident that he was born in Canada because my home was in Las Vegas. And I was uh, went into labor on a plane into Canada, and Chris was born in Toronto. And that basically, uh, my first thing that I found out was the laws that exist that prohibit certain individuals from 
immigrating into another country, particularly the United States. So Christopher was born a cute little Down syndrome guy, uh, but he was born with a label of being an undesirable alien in the United States. And, um, you know, I became one of those crazy moms, which so many, I'm sure, uh, Guy, that you found in your journey, so many nonprofits are founded by a family member who has, you know, become aware of the lack of services and the lack of funding uh, for their particular issue when their, their kiddo was born. So Chris was born. Um, it actually took me 17 years to get him legal in the United States, uh, which was our home here in Las Vegas. And, you know, I smuggled him across the border. I, uh, Vice President Hubert Humphrey became Christopher's sponsor. I was very lucky, finally, when he was 18 months old, to get a vice president as a sponsor. Because, you know, I was married to a pretty prominent entertainer at the time, and, um, you know, we were calling everyone we knew. But then when, uh, seven years later, when Humphrey died, we could no longer, we were told to get Chris out of the country. And that's when I began to harbor an illegal alien in my home, who was my son. (laughs) And at that early stage, I had found Opportunity Village. And um, cut me off if I'm talking too much, Guy. Oh, no. Um, No, the story is so important in all of this conversation that we're going to have today. Okay. Well, you know, I... I, I was a former dancer, and I, I don't know what I expected of my life in Las Vegas. Certainly, it was not going to be a disability advocate or, uh, you know, or fundraiser. Uh, what did I know about that? And then Chris was born, and someone introduced me to Opportunity Village, which was a small, struggling organization at the time. And I uh, just, you know, saw these sweet, amazing, wonderful people who have been handed a, you know, a a bad hand um, in life. And it was this, you know, this stark shock to walk into this little place and see people with very profound intellectual disabilities in an old, dark warehouse that was not designed for their use. And I, you know, they were, you know, kids that were 18 on up. My Chris was a little guy, and I just started to think about, you know, what was his future going to be? And it seemed to me that Opportunity Village was the answer to when Christopher would, would you know, mature. But then I needed it to look a lot more, <laughs> a lot different than it looked at that time. So there you have it. I I volunteered at Opportunity Village for about seven years, and then I was hired as their first fundraiser. I'm a pretty old gal now, uh, but I was their very first fundraiser and uh, stayed there for 40 years. Really? Well, yes, I know this is a, this is a nonprofit organization, uh, Opportunity Village. Of course, it gets a lot of notoriety in Southern Nevada. It's very interesting to hear about the origins of it, though, Linda. You know, we look at a, at a nonprofit that's really booming and prominent now. And for those of yeah. you out there who might be starting one from the ground, as uh, Linda had mentioned, a lot of times people start a nonprofit. They see a, a space. They see some 
aspect of society that needs to be nurtured or uh, addressed or helped. And that's the basis of the way that they uh, develop the nonprofit. And it's can be very challenging at the, its beginnings, right, Linda, as you talked about. But, oh, yeah. um, so tell us more about the evolution of Opportunity Village and your role as, as a leader, sure. as a part of that evolution. Yeah, and, uh, you know, a lot of people give me credit for Opportunity Village. They, you know, they think I'm the founder. Well, well I'm not. There were seven wonderful families who got together many years before I arrived on the scene. And that was a time when kids with intellectual disabilities were considered uneducable and unemployable. And they, they formed what became Opportunity Village and, and brought in a teacher. Um, and because their kids, you know, the school system wouldn't allow them. And um, that was 20 years before me. So I always want to make sure to let people know I, I am not the founder. Some amazing people started it. But I know that when I arrived on the scene, um, I was just not a person that would take no, you know, for an answer. And it just was not um, not appropriate that, that people were in an old damp warehouse. And so I just somehow, seat of the pants, I had no idea what cause marketing was. I had no idea what public announcements were. I just was a crazy mom who wanted to make life better for her son and for the people that I was meeting. And um, I formed a board. Where I remember going to the first meeting of the board, and it was made up, comprised of mostly parents, you know, family members, uh, which a lot of times that's the case. And as I sat through a meeting in this place where the roof was falling in, literally it was propped up, and, uh, you know, it was this dank, horrible place, uh, the parents were all talking about whether you serve cookies or carrots at the Friday night dance. <laughs> I'm thinking, but wait a minute, the roof is falling in. And so I rolled up my sleeves. My, I was married at the time to an entertainer, a popular entertainer. Wayne Newton also was the godfather of my second boy, Jason. And we reached out to him and we started doing these annual concerts of love. So I think Wayne did seven or eight of them, uh, Tom Jones and Margaret, uh, Chicago. I mean, all kinds of wonderful people stepped in. And we were able to reach out to them because my ex and I were both entertainers. And I think that that is really what started to put Opportunity Village on the map. I did those concerts for about 25 years, the very last one was Celine Dion in her first year of coming to Vegas. Um, she did the very last concert of love. And, you know, just I think having an entertainer background, it helped me think of out-of-the-box ideas like, like the magical forest. Um, it was just an idea. I'll string some lights on a few trees, and maybe people will come. And boy, did they come. And 35 years later... <laughs> It was an event that the first year raised $3,000 million, $3, to uh, this last couple of years raising $2.5 million. So it became an important fundraiser. And then if I didn't have enough on my hands at Christmas time, I decided that 
we should do um, a walk and call it the Great Santa Run and, and then make it a world challenge. So I reached out to the world and we shortly had 10,000 people dressed in Santa, you know, marching down Fremont Street. So, uh, you know, those kinds of events really helped reach the masses and put Opportunity Village and the folks that we serve there on the map and um, and also reaching out to corporations uh, to let them know that, you know, you had a great partner in Opportunity Village and in people with disabilities because I always remember my my husband now, he was he ran uh, the Budweiser distributorship, uh, Nevada Beverage Company. And I used to go to him for donations of uh, beer for my event. And I got a husband out of it because <laughs> I got more than the beer for my event. <laughs> but uh, I remember going to him and understanding the business of selling beer. And I remember him saying Miller Lite was the number two selling beer uh, in the country at the time. And so I said, well, why not give Opportunity Village five cents a case of Bud Light? And then you'll have us out there just talking about how wonderful the beverage company is. And lo and behold, um, that five cents a case was about $250,000 a year and continued on. Um, more recently, when the, our hockey team came to town, I reached out to the owner and suggested, that, you know, what most fundraisers would do, Guy, they would go to a very important group or, you know, and ask for a ton of money at Hello. And you've got to first build that relationship. And so when I went um, uh, to meet, you know, the, the, the bigwigs with the, and this was before they were called the Golden Knights, by the way, this was at the very beginning. Instead of asking them for a major donation, I, and they were trying to become a franchise at the time, so they had a need, too. Um, and this, of course, is, is what cause marketing is all about. They had a need to promote hockey was coming to the desert. And um, I toured them through Opportunity Village. They saw the enthusiastic individuals that we served in our beautiful new campuses, and um, they got it right away and said, well, what do you want? And I, you know, I, it would have been nice to ask for a million dollars or $100,000 or $50,000. But instead, I'd done my homework and I asked for, fi- for, I asked for a dollar a seat for all the home games. And that equated at that point to a $750,000 donation if 75% of the seats were full. So that kind of approach to philanthropy, it ta- it's a lot of work, and incrementally you're picking up dollars, but it gets your name out there to the whole community. When you see 10,000 Santas and you know that a whole bunch of them represent corporations in town and you understand and, you, you know, you've done the you, – you understand your charity and, in, in my case, one in every 10 families has an individual with an intellectual disability. 
So you know that you're reaching lots and lots of people. So anyway, I mean, my story goes on and on and on. Over my years there, I raised half a billion dollars for Opportunity Village. And uh, in my tenure of almost 40 years, I left um, to become, I was being asked by people around the country to help them. And at this late stage in my my career, I am now a fundraising consultant, a nonprofit consultant. So I'm traveling around the world, um, and particularly in the United States. I actually have a client in Liverpool, uh, England, but I'm traveling around the country helping organizations think big and understand that they deserve, um, you know, to be supported and also help them to understand that every dollar counts and um, it's to reach out to the community and, and the corporations in the community for help. What a fantastic case study in, in cause marketing that you just shared there, Linda. By the way, for those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to the Business of Giving podcast at 91.5 KUNV Jazz and more. And I am speaking with Linda Smith. She is a woman who was very prominent in the development of Opportunity Village, one of the largest nonprofit organizations uh, in Southern Nevada. Soul Up and its channel partners are providing complimentary solar to local charities, supporting four HopeLink transitional housing properties, feeding pets of Volunteers of America, and Opportunity Village. Their founder sits on the board of the Nevada Conservation League. By the way, we have a new nonprofit organization who recently joined the Cause Marketing Chamber. It is called STEM Achievers. STEM Achievers offers virtual tutoring sessions designed for elementary, middle, and high school students. They are dedicated educators in the field of science and mathematics with over 80 years of experience. They make learning, math, and science enjoyable for students of all ages. To learn more about STEM Achievers, the stem achievers.com and each week i keep updating you all about the first annual cause and business cruise it's going to happen october the 19th through the 26th 2024 we're going to cruise through the hawaiian islands as an organization uh it'll give you a great opportunity if you come and participate with us to network with giving professionals uh we're going to do lots of things together as an organization we're even going to do some volunteer work one of the islands that we'll be doing a layover in while we're in hawaii is Maui. And of course, many of us, we know the devastation that happened to that island through fires a few months ago. We're going to go and be of service in Maui. Uh, We're going to have lots of fun activities related to uh, the cause and business sectors. And uh, of course, we're going to enjoy ourselves being in Hawaii uh, with all the sights and sounds of paradise on earth is what I like to call Hawaii. And we'd love to have you come and be a part of the cause and business cruise. Uh, Proceeds from cabins, by the way, will also go to nonprofit organizations. If you'd like to learn more about uh, what we're going to be doing with the Cause and Business Cruise, info at causemarketingchamber.com, or you can reach out to us, causemarketingchamber.com to learn more. And as I had mentioned, I've been speaking with Linda Smith. She is a uh, philanthropist, at a, at a very high level. And Linda, you started talking about fundraising. 
in the work that we do in this sector, as you know, because you've been involved in, in fundraising for a long time, especially with the newer nonprofit organizations, one of the things that I find is that a person's got a big heart. They've got a great idea about something that they want to contribute to society to make the world a better place, as I had mentioned before. But when they are confronted with the economic realities of running a nonprofit, that can be very challenging, especially at the beginning before they understand fundraising. As a consultant, what are some of the steps that you would take with a smaller nonprofit to help them to get the mindset of fundraising? Because all nonprofit work, to an extent, is driven through fundraising. Well, yeah, I, I think the the first very important step is to understand that you are not a beggar. You, you know, nonprofits solve the societal ills of the world. And a lot of times you have someone that's, you know, starting out um, and even seasoned people. I, I hear people say, because I do board training and I talk to staff and uh, you know, they feel like a beggar. And I go, you're not a beggar. You are giving. You are giving your community and you are giving people an opportunity to do something important in the world. And I think we all know when we give, it feels good to give. So, you know, that that would be a very first thing is to understand that little piece that, um you know, evaluating what you have, and you are a gift. You're a gift to the community. You are a gift to donors. I think understanding also the business of philanthropy in that um, there are, right now, we're going through the largest wealth transfer in human history. So you have people that have enormous wealth, and they're sitting here trying to figure out what to do with their money as they age. And, you know, what gives me pause as a fundraiser is that I worry about the next generations. Do they understand philanthropy? Do they understand that it's a responsibility to your community? Um, Do they, you know, these next generations, several removed, maybe they don't care as much about people. Maybe they want to save the whales, which is not a bad thing. Uh, but we, it's important that we all understand there's this window of opportunity right now over the next probably 20, 25 years where the people that have the money are the people that are going to give it away. And so if you're sitting behind your computer or your phone texting a donor or you know emailing a donor, you're not doing it right. You have to get out and meet people where they are and understand that they are not a thing. A donor is not. A donor is a warm, live human being who wants to be treated as such. They are people who have all the same needs that we have. And so, you know, where this instant get out there and ask for money, if you get a quick yes, you didn't ask enough as far as I'm concerned. And, and, and I, I have a story about that with a, with a major donor that I went to. And it was at the time, it was the biggest gift I had asked for, and it was $5 million. I got a, a, a yes so quickly that I was depressed that I had left money on the table. Well, I didn't do that again. It's better to ask high and come down. Um, my last 
significant gift when I was at Opportunity Village was $35 million ask. And why not? The, the organizers, they had the capacity. They had the interest. They were wonderful people. We'd stewarded them along the way. And what's the worst that can happen is you may not get the $35 million, then may come down to 25 or 10 or 5 But that's not so bad. In, in this case, I got the 35 so I was glad I asked. Hi. But, I mean, that, that's, that's a lot of information uh, there. I do have a couple of books. I wrote the story of uh, how I got involved in, uh, in the nonprofit world, and it's called Unwanted by Linda Smith, and it's the story of my son, Christopher. Um, and, um, and then, you know, Building Opportunity Village. And when I completed that book, so that's Unwanted, and then when I, and you can find that, by the way, on Linda's Life or on Amazon. But um, if, um, when I completed that, I had a lot of people saying, well, Linda, you didn't give enough detail about events, you know, and how to put on an event. So my second book is called uh, Confessions of a Sin City Fundraiser, and that's available on Amazon by Linda Smith. Um, we can never stop learning I still, I went to an event in Texas on Saturday every single time, as long as I've been in this game. Every, I could see the things that they needed to improve, but more than anything, I could see that they were doing so many wonderful things, and, and I learned from them. So never feel like we know it all. There's always something to be learned. Yes, and I have some. There's a couple of things that you touched on. Uh, I think that were really significant, and that is uh, never ask, ask double probably of, <laughs> of what you feel you deserve, right? And that's a huge confidence builder, I think, for uh, maybe people who aren't used to fundraising. Is you have to keep your your mind on the value of what you're bringing to the community. Um, and I, that's an excellent point that you made about that, Linda. And I know we've got additional interviews because we're really just scratching the surface, but I, I definitely want to have you back to talk more about fundraising and other aspects. I mean, again, someone with your long history, uh, cause marketing consulting, uh, could you share some information with them? Well, if you go to Amazon, both books are on Amazon. Um, and again, it's unwanted. Uh, by Linda Smith and Confessions of a Sin City Fundraiser by Linda Smith. But also you can go to my web, website, is at Linda's Life, L-I-F-E. And you can see my, my blogs and my newsletters and my pointers, but also there's a link there to, to order, order the books. So um, there's many fundraisers out there to learn from. You could go to uh, AFP, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, and look at their library to find to find books on not just fundraising, but on marketing. But you know, the main thing is to get out from behind your desk and meet with people. The number one reason people give is because they were asked, and because they were asked face to face or phone to phone. If you cannot meet face to face. But that's, um, you know, a lesson that needs to be continually revisited because what makes me, that worries me about the people, young people, young people of today is they do not know how to communicate. And, uh, and that's a broad statement. I, I don't mean to paint that brush over everybody, 
But, you know, everybody's communicating on the phone, and that's not where the donors are. They don't like that. So take people out to dinner, to, to, to lunch. Meet them in their office. Talk to them face-to-face, and you'll, you'll be much more successful. Thank you so much again, for uh, Linda, for being a part of the Business of Giving podcast. We just want to remind you all that you can listen to our show uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and other platforms. Uh, to listen to us on other platforms, the Business of Giving Transistor. Dot FM. We also invite you to follow Cause Marketing Chamber of Commerce's social sites. Uh, and we welcome you to tune into the Business of Giving podcast every Sunday at 7.30 a.m. at KUNV 91.5 FM. The Business of Giving podcast was brought to you by Solup's underwriting of our series. Thank you so much for tuning in again. And always remember to give and do business for good. Take care of yourselves and see you soon. World on my shoulder. As I'm getting older, your people get older. Most of us only care about money.